Hello, and welcome to the newest edition of Pro Pharma Talks. Today, we are gonna be discussing managing chronic conditions during a pandemic. But before we get into that, I'd like to remind you to review and subscribe. Hello, and welcome to the newest edition of Pro Pharma Talks. My name is Alex Hernandez. On the other line is Dr. Craig Stern. And uh, our topic for today is about ma managing chronic conditions during a pandemic. But before we get into that, we want to remind you folks at home that we are working remotely. We are, um, but we still are hard at work. Dr. Craig Stern always keeps me hard at work. So <laughs> I got to keep working in order to keep providing. And we are one, some of the lucky few. So we recognize how blessed and grateful we are. Thank you so much, Dr. Stan. Thank you so much. <laughs> but um, we, we just want to remind you folks at home that we are working remotely. We are working to provide information for you as well. So um, back to our topic for today, Dr. Stern, managing chronic conditions during a pandemic. Why is this one of the reasons we brought this up? Yeah, um, actually, uh, uh, the staff had, had the idea. I think it's a good one. We have had questions from people about you know, what do I do? I can't get to the lab. I can't have my hemoglobin A1C tested, or um, I can't get a hold of my doctor. What am I going to do? How do I make sure that my condition isn't getting worse and that the medications I'm taking are correct? So we're going to talk today about um, high-risk conditions and what do you do about it and how you handle it. Even if you don't have a laboratory and you can't get to your doctor, what do you do? So that'll be our topic. Mm -hmm. So, so what are some of the what are some of those issues? The major high level issues that happen, like you have a pandemic, you have people rushing to the hospital to get tested for, for this new coronavirus that is out there. So, and so all the doctors are busy working on these new patients. What about the ones that have chronic conditions? Sure, um, a good question, Alex. Uh, the first thing to remember is that. Uh, even in a pandemic where we can't get a hold of people, there still is a need to control your therapy. And um, in effect, you don't necessarily need the lab right away. You don't need to get a hold of your doctor right away unless it's severe. Uh, and then clearly, you need to talk to them. You do have the opportunity, pharmacies are open, where you can talk to a pharmacist or uh, and or um, you can get basic uh, over-the-counter things that you can get uh, with or without a prescription in order to uh, get regular therapy. Having said that, the main issues that people have with regard to a pandemic are those people that are immunosuppressed, meaning they don't have an immune system, so they can't mount a, um, a group, a body of antigens to fight off virus or fight off a foreign antigen. That's number one. Number two is they do have some chronic diseases. In today's world, they call them pre-existing conditions, but in mm -hmm. fact, in medicine, they have always been comorbid diseases. Things like high blood pressure, diabetes, asthma, high cholesterol, dealing with, um, with a condition called ASCVD. Or, or atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, things where you have uh, clots or, or cholesterol that's blocking arteries, things like that. And so we wanna talk about 
how do you deal with those so that you're dealing with your quote chronic conditions today and try and keep them under control rather than having to uh, work all the time to try and get a lab test or otherwise. That's what we're going to do and how we're going to talk about it. Okay, well then let's start it off. What are some of the restrictions that are imposed on, uh, on some of these patients? Oh, you want, you, you want to answer that or is it? <laughs> um, the phone never stops ringing. Um, <laughs> The, the, the issue, of course, is, is that you have limited doctor visits, right? You have perhaps telehealth, but even that's limited if you have a very severe condition versus something that isn't severe where it's relatively under control or you're not symptomatic, and then a limited medical uh, laboratory test. So let's deal with some of this. The first one, of course, is cardiovascular disease. Um, you're talking about people who have high blood pressure, uh, perhaps issues with regard to having had a heart attack, issues with regard to high cholesterol, perhaps that they've had some irregular heart rate. Um, uh, Alex and I have talked over and over about prevention, and frankly, prevention is part of this. You want to make sure that, one, you're taking your medications as prescribed, and that mm -hmm. um, with the fundamental issue that if you're taking them as prescribed, that will limit the amount of complications and hopefully keep you uh, in control. If you have, for example, congestive heart failure, meaning that your heart is expanded, but it's not pumping uh, really strongly or efficiently in order to get all the blood out, the main thing for you to do, and you should do it anyways, regardless of a pandemic, is uh, take your weight every day. Do it at the same time. Do it um, uh, always in the, in the same condition, meaning uh, you take it in the morning before breakfast, you take your weight. And given that you're following the same diet um, or even less of a diet, clearly you wanna know what your weight is. If your weight begins to increase over time, meaning your weight is at one level and then the next day it's about the same about the same and then it begins to rise that's a time where you want to contact your physician in order to get a diuretic because in that case you need to have a diuretic to get the fluid off so you don't end up back in the hospital to deal with it's something we tell people all the time in order to try and ensure it so it's really simple take your blood your uh, your weight every day and when the, your weight begins to go up, then uh, you call your doctor in order to get a diuretic to get the fluid off. That's issue one. You know, with these chronic conditions, I mean, chronic condition or not, people are not going to be taking their weight every day, especially well, at home in a pandemic. <laughs> well, well, think about it, though. Um, you are right. at home. Um, mm -hmm. I understand that it's, it's a, perhaps an inconvenience, but think of it this way. Either you're at home and you're feeling good, or you're being rushed to the hospital, you are in a condition where uh, people around you or people in the hospital have uh, a virus or a pandemic, you don't want to be near the hospital, you don't want to mm -hmm. get it because it's a big incubator of disease, you want to stay away. So fundamentally, going back to the prevention axiom, take your weight every day, watch, and if it begins to rise, then call the doctor. 
that's a very simple way to stay away from the hospital, stay away from medical providers who need to help other people who are really in severe condition. So I realize the inconvenience, but at the end right. of the day, consider doing it. The okay. second issue is, is uh, something we've all also talked about, lose weight, stop smoking, comply mm -hmm. with your medications. These are simple things. You may not like it. It may not be something that is easy to do, but think about it in the way of either I lose weight, I stop smoking, or I'm going to get worse, and then as a result, I'm gonna end up in the hospital with a lot of really sick people. That is not where you wanna be. So at the end of the day, this is an, an inducement for you to do the right things that we've been talking about for a long time. Um, let me talk about high blood pressure for a moment. Uh, get yourself a high blood pressure monitor. Uh, you can get them in pharmacies. They're readily available. They're not terribly expensive. You put a cuff around your arm, always do it at the same time, in the same place, um, and do it in the same conditions. Sit down for five minutes to get yourself calm rather than walking around. Um, do it at the same time, in the same place, in the same arm every day. And when you do so, then understand that you're taking your blood pressure. Usually, most of these monitors keep a number and keep you. Um, going all the time, uh, keep you uh, uh, have, a, have a collection of your numbers that are cataloged every time. And what you want is to make sure, in general, that your blood pressure is below 140 over 90. 140 is the systolic, the high number, the top number, and 90 is the low number. And in a general sense, you want to keep it below 140 over 90. There are some differences as you get older and the rest, but bottom line is take it every day, same place, same time, same arm, and do that every day. And when you do that, then you're monitoring your blood pressure and you're also keeping yourself out of the hospital and not calling your doctor every day to do it. I'll tell you very quickly, um, when my father was alive, uh, he had high blood pressure. I, uh, he was exquisitely sensitive to his weight. So I was constantly on him to lose weight. Uh, he, uh, he got the blood pressure monitor. I told him exactly as I'm telling you how to do it. I was in the hospital and he was paging me every half hour to tell me that his blood pressure varied. It was up, it was down, it was up, it was down. And I said, Dad, you're giving me high blood pressure. Could you please <laughs> just do it the way I've told you and stop taking it every half hour. This is not a toy. It's not something for you to play with. We're trying to make sure that you stay stable so we know what it is. So you keep your blood pressure in control. Terribly important because by doing so, you prevent stroke, you prevent a chance for a heart attack, you're keeping yourself in good shape. Is it prevention? Absolutely. But it's definitely <laughs> the right thing to do. And you check, your blood, you check your blood pressure and then you get the numbers. And then you get so nervous, you go out and get a cigarette, right? <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> Find something else to do. Chew on gum, suck on a candy, do something else other than that. Uh, the third thing has to deal with um, your uh, diabetes. We've had calls from people. They can't get to the lab in order to get their hemoglobin, hemoglobin A1C, which is reflective of their, of their sugar control. 
hemoglobin A1C is not a one-time value that you monitor everything. It is reflective of what's been happening for several months beforehand. So you don't need your hemoglobin A1C if you can't get it. I'm not saying don't get it. I'm not saying never get it. I'm just saying that if you can't get to the lab and there you, uh, the lab needs uh, resources for other conditions and, and you're not going to walk into a lab, what I'm saying is get yourself a blood sugar monitor. Most people with diabetes have it. You have a blood sugar monitor. You take your blood sugar as was prescribed, like in the morning before you eat breakfast, perhaps at night before you go to bed. It depends on what your regimen is. But either way, you're taking your blood sugar and trying to ensure the fact that your blood sugar is in control. And in doing so, then you're making sure that the A1C that will be reflective of the treatment, you didn't get it, will be a, a, a good number because you controlled it every day, day in and day out, in order to make sure that you get uh, uh, the right numbers. Now, along and, with that, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, we should just reiterate that all the things that you're mentioning as far as prevention, preventing you, if you have a, a chronic condition, from going back into the hospital, is just normal prevention measures that you should be doing every day anyways. Yes. It should okay. be reiterated, yeah. Absolutely. So um, realize that you're taking your your uh, blood sugar, you're keeping in control, but along with that, make sure that you are following a diabetic diet so that you're keeping your sugar low, you're getting enough protein uh, in your diet, you are losing weight, and you're checking this daily to make sure that uh, you have it. And if you run into trouble with your blood sugar, then try and adjust it so that it, be, it is in normal ranges um, uh, as you do it. You certainly want your blood sugar above 80. And you want your blood sugar, depending on when you take it, uh, below um, you know, a one, uh, uh, 140. But it depends on whether you're taking it before meals or after meals. Uh, you should take it before meals so that you can keep that number low. Bottom line is take it every day the way it's prescribed, uh, once to three times a day, and follow that regimen. And then you won't need the A1C when you can't get to the lab. You can do it later. Not that you're never going to do it. We want you to do it. We want to make sure you're doing it. But if you can't get there and deal with it, then the alternative, in fact, even if you're taking your A1C, is to make sure you take your blood sugar every day, following a diabetic diet, controlling sugar uh, in what you do, losing weight, et cetera. So we're trying to control diabetes. We're controlling your cardiac disease. Right. And diabetes is huge because it's, it's the number of diabetic patients or people being diagnosed as diabetic is rising every year. And it seems like it's at a phenomenal pace. It, it is. And remember also um, that when you are diabetic, it's important that you're taking an aspirin every day, usually a low-dose aspirin, the 81 milligrams. Make sure you're doing that every day. That helps with the overall treatment. And by the way, it's, it's something that isn't commonly mentioned, but um, make sure you have a good a cream or lotion and moisturize your skin all of the time. 
because diabetes can dry your mm. extremities, your legs, your feet, your hands. So you want to keep them well hydrated and moisturized. So please deal with that and make sure that they have all the appropriate uh, moisture, that they stay um, uh, uh, pl pliable and not dry, etc. Cracking because then that can cause other problems with what you do. So that's and also cardiac. and also for for those who are who are um, don't have chronic conditions. Right now is actually a very dangerous time as everyone's scared to leave their homes. So we got to remind people that it is safe to go out for a walk. I mean, you can't go outside. You can you can go for a walk. You can wear your mask. They have some pretty nice, fancy, stylish masks now that you can buy, and it'll still look cool when you walk outside. <laughs> well, we want it. We want everybody to look cool because Alex is very concerned that everybody. Don't forget. Cool. <laughs> don't forget two episodes ago that that vape pen. It's still. That, think about it. Yeah, it, it's, it's important to look cool. <laughs> I, I would recommend that if you are using a mask, that when you use a mask, you're putting your hands on your face. And you also are putting your hands by your nose and your mouth. So if you're doing that, realize that in some cases, a mask is a very good thing if you're very sick. It can be a bad thing if you're not sick and you don't have symptoms because you're putting your hands all over your face. So when you mm -hmm. do that, Certainly wash your hands and make sure and try and keep your hands away from your face aside from what you're doing and putting the mask on because you don't want to keep transferring whatever is on your face, whatever you're breathing, whatever you're coughing, um, whatever droplets you have from sneezing, etc. that it's not, um, you know, uh, uh, invalidating what the mask is doing. Okay. Right. Um, okay. By the way, there was, a, I, I was talking about cardiovascular disease. There was one other thing I wanted to mention, and that is there's been some discussion about ACE, ACE, and ACE inhibitors and ARB inhibitors. These right. are drugs that are used to treat high blood pressure. However, uh, there has been some discussion in, in uh, the media that this has something to do with the coronavirus because both are attacking uh, the ACE uh, antigen or the ACE position on the cell. Um, uh, please, uh, everyone who's reading that for the moment, there has been no defined association between the ACE and the coronavirus. So if you're taking ACE inhibitors like benazapril, lisinopril, drugs like that, uh, continue to take it. It has nothing to do with the coronavirus until we have appropriate studies to demonstrate whether there is anything or people are just speaking theoretically. As I spoke last time, there are no drugs. There are no drugs that have been uh, established by the FDA to be safe and effective for the coronavirus at present. There's a lot of talk. The president has talked about some things, others have, but right now that's all speculation. It means nothing. People need to realize that you may take something with the hope, but that's like taking vitamins with the hope that you'll be a vitamin deficient. You're not. Uh, so please be careful with that. You don't just take things just to take them, because when you do, you don't know what the consequences are, and the consequences have not been studied in populations that don't have the given disease. 
for a given condition. So if you're on ACEs and ARBs, continue to take them for your blood pressure. Um, okay. let, let me move to asthma and COPD. The most important things about asthma and COPD, uh, number one is to stop smoking so that you don't uh, make your COPD worse or, or get it into emphysema. Smoking, even if you've been smoking a long time, it's terribly important you stop smoking. That makes sense. If you're having a hard time breathing, you should probably stop smoking. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> Number two is it's terribly important that you know how to use your inhalers. The inappropriate use of inhalers means that they're not working. You have to, you can, you can talk to your pharmacist about it, etc. but you're using your inhalers the way that they're designed. And that is they have to go from your mouth into your lungs. To do that, you must be inhaling at the same time that you're taking the drug so that you're not just puffing it out as soon as you get the drug and then you talk or you puff out what it is. You have to inhale it, take a deep breath, even take a deep breath before, and then when you take the drugs, inhale at the same time to get all of those drugs uh, as close into the uh, lungs as possible so that they mean something and that they, they have a, a, uh, a impact. Now there's two kinds, at least, of uh, asthma medications. One's called Rescue, and the other one is an inhaled corticosteroid that's used uh, to, uh, for, for regular therapy because asthma, COPD are inflammatory problems. So you need to cut down on the inflammation so that it opens the airways and gives you an opportunity to breathe. The rescue are things like albuterol, and they're used when you're having trouble breathing in order to open it up. You don't necessarily want to use them all the time because you want to make sure that your lungs have the capability to respond to uh, breathing, to bringing in air, etc. The inhaled corticosteroids, on the other hand, like uh, like uh, betamethasone and, and uh, or flutic uh, fluticasone for the nose or otherwise or 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 others, they are there to cut down on the inflammation to allow the lungs to expand, uh, so that they're not preventing air from getting in because the pipes of the lung are too small. You want them to be larger, not smaller. Um, now, clearly, when you do that, there are these breathing machines. They have it. They have little, um, little uh, table tennis balls where you can uh, breathe in and the ball flips up and you can see uh, what kind of uh, virtual capacity you have. And certainly you might wanna get one of those because they help you to see how well your breathing is and you can practice it so you can help expand uh, your lungs. And it isn't just a one-time thing. Alex was a football player so he could go on as he has with me about all of his football exploits. For you, <laughs> it's um, really practice, practice, practice. So you're practicing with your lungs to expand and make sure uh, that you are improving your overall capacity in order to deal with that. And finally, uh, you can go to the pharmacy. There are oxygen monitors. Uh, you, you put your finger into it and it tells you what your uh, O2 saturation or your oxygen level is. You need that oxygen level above 90 so that you're assured of the fact that your lungs 
are getting enough air into the lungs and then transferring it to the rest of the body because that oxygen is terribly important for all cells to help with, um, with uh, respirations, uh, to help with issues of, um, of cell uh, maturation and the kind of work that they do, keeping your cells healthy, uh, digesting um, uh, food and, and, um, and things that are, are uh, antigens and stuff in the body, so you want that. So at the end of the day, um, uh, use your inhalers correctly, use your rescue only when you need it, use your, your corticosteroids, your inhaled corticosteroids on a regular basis, whether you feel well or not, continue to use them all the time in order to improve and to open up the, uh, the lungs from and decrease the inflammation. Deal with the breathing machine so that you can have that little table tennis ball and watch it and you can work to get it higher, improve your vital capacity, and then finally get a, a, uh, an oxygen saturation monitor. Just put your finger in it and deal with it. All of this is available from a pharmacy. The pharmacies are open. They can help you with it. Bottom line, this will help you with your breathing so that you stay healthy and your breathing is correct. And if you can, have a family member or a friend go to the store for you because it is critical for asthma patients to, to stay home during this time because it, it could be very dangerous for them. Yes, it is. Let me take yeah. a couple of other diseases. Um, mm -hmm. If you um, have thyroid problems, especially hypothyroidism, meaning that your thyroid is not working up to capacity, or perhaps you've um, had your, your thyroid removed, uh, you're taking drugs like levothyroxine. It's uh, one of the thyroid hormones that is necessary for the body for uh, what's known as basal metabolic rate uh, to keep mm -hmm. the body um, functioning appropriately. Um, you take it once a day, and um, this is mandatory, where you're always taking it every day in the morning, and you don't miss it. You'll always have to handle that and address that. The other thing for thyroid is uh, you can watch your neck, watch to see if there's any distension uh, going on. If you see any swelling or any pooching of any uh, area of the neck, then certainly um, you know, call the, your doctor and, and do a Skype or do a Zoom or something so that they can see your neck. So that take, that's the issue for thyroid. Let me address and, and look And also patients, please be aware that doctors may be busy at this time. <laughs> so it might take a while. <laughs> Maybe. Now yeah. let me talk about pain for a moment. Mm -hmm. uh, in a general sense, there are two kinds of pain. There's the pain of cancer that requires opiates and very severe pain medication to control it because it may be significant pain from the tumor itself or it may be pain that has um, metastasized or moved to the bones, in which case it's incredibly painful. And then separately, there's the pain of movement or the pain where you've thrown your back out or you've gotten a sprain or something like that. In this case, um, the cancer issue will have to be addressed by the oncologist, but note that you should not be out, you shouldn't be around anyone because your immune system is compromised. And now you need to make sure that you're not catching anything that is ambient, that's moving around in the air or otherwise to ensure the fact that you can fight off whatever's going on. 
That's one issue. Now for the pain management that we normally have by falling and getting an injury or pulling uh, your your back or your, your leg or whatever. Or picking um, up your kid and pulling your back out, that kind yeah, of stuff. Um, but in that <laughs> regard, what you want to do is there are over-the-counter pain medications. If you're a kid under, um, under 18, 18 is up to 18 is adolescence. Uh, before 18 in your teen measures are, are the adolescent years. But over 18, you can take aspirin. There's nothing wrong with it. If you have asthma, then certainly stay away from it. But in that regard, um, make sure that the um, that uh, 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 aspirin is available for you to take. It's a very effective pain management. So are NSAIDs, uh, things like ibuprofen, naproxen, things like that for you to take. And if you're concerned about um, opiate or opiate abuse, understand that someone who has to take it for two, two or three days in general is not going to be addicted or otherwise. It's just a matter of treating the pain. You treat the pain somewhere between four and six times a day. Uh, get the initial pain management, even out of surgery in most cases, where you can take it for a few days and then uh, taper down or stop it, and in effect, you've addressed it. But if there's a concern about it, you can, <clears throat> as an alternative, you can take the, um, the over-the-counter NSAIDs, over-the-counter ibuprofen or naproxen. You can take, uh, in the case of ibuprofen, two of the 200 milligrams, which is the over-the-counter strength, and add two uh, uh, Tylenol or acetaminophen or two extra strength acetaminophen, and that will help with the pain. Now you've got two, you have two issues just so that you know because we want to make sure you don't get drug-induced problems. And that is you can take that two or 400 milligram four to six times a day for a few days and that should deal with the problem. If you add acetaminophen, Tylenol, then make sure that in general that you take all the milligrams and you do not take up to 4,000 milligrams or more a day. Keep it down to uh, 2,900 milligrams or even 2,500 milligrams a day uh, because it can be liver toxic if you take too much. That shouldn't stop you. We're not talking about the fact that everybody is going to be liver toxic. All we're saying is to be smart because two is better, four is better, eight is better, no. In this particular case, keep that dose below 2,900 milligrams a day, and then hopefully we're going to minimize all of these problems. So from a, um, from a uh, 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 over-the-counter analgesic uh, pain issue, your main issue is uh, could the pain be addressed, and I could deal with it in a few days. If you have it for three days or longer, then after a week you need to call the doctor and ask, what's going on or talk to your pharmacist because there may be some other complications. But for short-term therapy, pain management is there and you can deal with it. If you have the pain of cancer, as I've said, you have to isolate yourself uh, because in this particular case, you don't have immunity. That's number one. Follow your therapy as was prescribed to the letter. And then just as a safety issue, it happens different for injectable pain management, like injectable morphine 
versus oral medications. But in a general sense, um, uh, take your respirations, or if you have a watch, then take your, your respirations, count your respirations, and make sure that you're um, not doing more than um, you know, 12 uh, respirations a minute so that you're keeping it low and you don't see where it's dropping because of the therapy. You want to keep those respirations up. You also um, want to take your pulse uh, and inform the doctor if it falls below 50. So respirations, how much you breathe at, at 12 times a minute, your blood pressure at not less than 50. So you've got two things you're doing in order to uh, maintain it. And then um, your blood pressure, once again, keeping it below 140 over 90. In, in both cases, you're trying to monitor and measure uh, what goes on. So if any of those numbers, respirations below 12, your, um, your uh, a pulse uh, greater than 50, your uh, blood pressure uh, greater than 140 over 90, those are indications that in general the medications may be affecting you and certainly you can um, uh, let your doctor know, et cetera, or uh, the medication presumably has requirements on it that will allow you to lower it. But pain and cancer, the most important thing, more important than anything, is to isolate uh, and make sure that you're not part of what's going on with the people around you, et cetera, uh, because you, do, you don't have immunity and you wanna make sure that you're okay. That would be true, by the way, of people who are on dialysis, and it's true of the people who have had a uh, kidney transplant, a liver transplant, a lung transplant, uh, because you do have immune problems and you want to make sure that they're okay. That's yeah, my story. You've mentioned all these uh, uh, chronic conditions. You mentioned how to manage it. Um, there's also a ton that you haven't mentioned already, right? Yes, there's a there's, lot. There's, so uh, it, for the most part, it's all about prevention and it's all about what your doctor has already told you on how to prevent going into the hospital. Is that, is that it, correct? It is. It Absolutely should be. true. Yeah. The point is, if you can't get to the lab, and you can't get a hold of your doctor, then continue to do what you were supposed to do in the first place. And hopefully that will keep you in control. You still have the opportunity to talk to a pharmacist that are open, mm -hmm. and you have the opportunity to get to um, uh, the physician, perhaps through telehealth or sending them a message. But bottom line is, if you're taking your medicines the way you're supposed to, and you're following, and if you have to do some other testing, you can get away without having a laboratory test all the time. I'm not talking about everything, I'm not talking no. about all, but in what I've talked about, this will give you some things to protect yourself so that um, even if you can't get to the lab, you're still keeping in control and those numbers will be reflected in what goes on in what you see in the lab or otherwise. There will always be differences and exceptions, but these are common things to do for common conditions. And, and in that case, we all wish you well, we wish you good health, please stay healthy. And in this particular condition, do what you've been asked, wash your hands, stay away, stay at home, uh, stay out of uh, general circulation, and uh, be well to everyone. Um, really quick, one thing, I had a question because uh, it's been mentioned before, and I believe 
Tylenol is being um, um, brought up a lot here. Can you tell us the effects of, it's Tylenol, right, that they've been talking about could affect uh, the coronavirus? Well, they're talking about Tylenol, but understand that if someone has the flu and the coronavirus is a type of flu, it's a very severe one, no question about it, uh, but clearly the flu happens every year and we have uh, vaccines for it. I, I expect uh, that there will be a vaccine eventually next year for this particular flu and you'll get a shot for that too, the same as you get for H1N1 every year. Uh, but when you get the flu, you have a stuffy nose, you may have a fever, you may have cough, uh, you it may have sneezing, you may have a, a GI problems where you're vomiting or have diarrhea. Bottom line in that regard is, is you're looking and saying, well, how do I deal with uh, things like, you know, the fever? Because now you're symptomatic. Well, yes, Tylenol is something that can be used. And in that regard, all we're asking is that you limit your use of it. Not don't use it. No one said that. But um, mm. it is not appropriate to be using 4,000 milligrams or more because now Tylenol turns from a very effective pain controller to a very effective killer of the liver. We don't want that. That's, part, that's probably part of the reason why they're mentioning not to use it is because that it's so easy to, to just pop another one in and turn, turn it into a higher dose. I can't tell you how many cases that I've consulted on or had to address where people have taken too much Tylenol thinking, or acetaminophen, the generic name, uh, thinking that it's safe because it's over the counter. Please, please, please don't take more than 4,000 milligrams. That falls in the category of what we call drug-induced disease, where we've uh -huh. taken effective medications and we've turned them into poisons. We don't want that. Same thing is true of ibuprofen. You don't use more than 3,200 milligrams of ibuprofen. Similarly with naproxen and the others, you're trying to limit, you want to use them, they're very effective, but you also don't take them. If you can take two, I can take four, then I can take eight and all of that. Right. That's very, very dangerous. At the end of the day, please follow what the requirements are. There's a label. Uh, on the box or on the bottle for you to follow. Talk to your pharmacist. Uh, if you can get a hold of them, talk to your doctor, but understand there are limits. Medications are very effective. If taken too much, they can be poisons. We need to make sure that people pay attention to that and what they do. And remember lastly, I've now said it several times, I'm going to say it again. There are no drugs that have been approved to treat or cure coronavirus, none, zero. So in that zilch, regard, nada. zilch, <laughs> nada, bastante, whatever. Bottom line for all of us is right now there isn't anything. People are speculating. There are some letters in some of the journals. Uh, people are talking about it. People who know nothing about medicine are making statements that they've heard and therefore they want to do it. It's like um, a group of grandmothers getting together and say, I tried this, so maybe you should try it, not knowing anything <laughs> about your conditions or not. I love mothers, I love grandmothers, <laughs> but we need to be careful 
because this is not the way to do therapy. Chicken soup. Chicken soup will solve all your problems. Chicken soup <laughs> and, um, and uh, hot tea with lemon and honey was my yeah. mother's cure for all colds. Yeah. And, and it worked to, to an extent. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah. So um, that, that's it for our topic for today. Anything else you'd like to add before we sign off, Craig? No. Be well. Stay healthy. Thank you. And uh, I hope you all at home have uh, taken this information. It's a lot of good information. Hope you got a notepad to write it all down. Um, while you're at it, you can go to ProPharmaConsultants.com. We have a free information page called RxInfoX. And uh, we also have a biweekly newsletter that goes out every two weeks because it's biweekly. Um, Dr. Craig Stern writes it himself. It's a pharmacy benefit news. You can find that on our website as well at ProPharmaConsultants.com. And uh, that's it for this week. We'll see you next week.